Pleasure to have your company. Welcome back to the Gallery of Curiosities. I remain, as always, your humble host, Osgood. Ah, here we are, Day of the Dead. Or, as they say in New Mexico, Second Halloween. The spirits are walking with us today. Can you feel them? And nowhere do the dead walk closer to us than in the city of Persephone, where we will be going for this evening's exhibit, which comes to us from author Atalanti Evropadou, a social psychologist and speculative fiction writer who occasionally dabbles in poetry too. Her short stories can be found in several Greek anthologies and in English venues such as Starship Sofa, Speculative North, and Flame Tree Publishing. Her work has also been featured in Onyx Paths, Gods and Monsters. It will be read for us by Mr. Michael Allen Rose. The Macabre Dance of the Fiddler and Cory by Atalanti Evripidou The wave found me at the public charnel house on Drought Avenue, where I was patiently waiting for my turn to shed my skin. Thankfully, the government had given us notice this time, so I'd come to the charnel house well in advance. I didn't want to risk shedding in the middle of the road, like I did during the previous wave four months ago. I was stepping out of the tiny booth where they'd taken my picture when the familiar feeling hit me, a hard, muted impact like water crashing over you, hence the name, Wave. Then came the nausea, and through the glass door I caught a glimpse of the specters spilling into the streets of Persephone, seemingly coming out of thin air, blue, luminescent mist writhing and bubbling around them. My scarred flesh crawled over my bones, and I hurried to the register to get my passbook stamped. I stole another glance outside. Some specters glided past, while others lingered in front of the Charno house, unfortunate souls with no living relatives, forced to rely on the kindness of strangers. It wasn't kindness, of course. It was the law. Theodard Bloom? The young man asked, and I nodded. His hand came up and down, and that was that. A brand new stamp appeared beside the previous ones, its green ink still wet. He gave me a purple marker with the number 81, staring at me the whole time with an expression between pity and horror painted on his face. This happened to me on a daily basis, but it never got any easier. I went to the next room, almost doubling over as my insides rippled and shifted. Time to shed. All around me, people were already pulling pants and dresses onto stark bones and leaving the charnel house, chatting lively with skeletal grins. 
Eager to get as far away from my marred skin as possible, I took my clothes off in a hurry and entered a cubicle. I leaned against the scrubbed plastic tiles and breathed deeply, allowing the distinctive marrow-deep sensation of being unmade wash over me. Once I got hold of that, the shedding was easy. I slipped out of my flesh, picked it up, and hung it on the hook above me. I gathered up my clothes and dressed slowly, taking the time to familiarize myself with my changed weight. I belonged to the small percentage who experienced balance issues after shedding. I didn't mind. Standing in front of the long, mirrored wall for a moment, I admired my strong, ivory bones and the pattern of engraved silver filigrees decorating them. Copious amounts of time and money had gone into that work, but the end product did not disappoint. My flesh was scarred and disfigured at a young age. I hadn't had much say about that, but the embellishment of my bones was all me. Everything from the platinum sterling alloy to the flowery pattern had been my choice. It was one of my favorite things about the waves. I got to look how I wanted to look, and not how that sadistic specter who'd borrowed my skin when I was twelve had decided I should look. I walked out of the Charnel house wearing only my black jeans and my trench. My ribcage caught the light, and around my ankles the pale mist was already dispersing. I didn't wait to see who'd wear my skin. I never did. Someone bumped into me, a short, thin skeleton dressed in a colorful boho skirt and layers upon layers of golden coins, starting from her shoulders and dripping down to her pelvic bone. I'm so sorry, she exclaimed, laughing drunkenly. Hey, no worries, I said, helping her regain her footing. I could understand the appeal of getting high or wasted right before a spectral wave hit. I'd tried it a couple of times myself. Colors were enhanced, textures became more pronounced, perception got altered, and in the huge ballrooms of St. Death Square, you felt more alive than ever before. The streetlights had already begun to flicker as I walked back to the two-roomed apartment that doubled as my office. I heard mewing and hissing and turned left to see a pack of spectral cats fighting with a skeletal one over its shed skin. Well, not quite fighting seeing as the specters couldn't actually do more than spook. The bone cat grabbed its fur in its mouth and scrambled up a tree, and from there hopped onto the nearest rooftop. The phantoms didn't chase after it. Cats were the same in death as they were in life. Once their quarry was out of sight, they lost interest. As I approached St. Death Square, the first high-pitched notes of the violins floated over the misty streets of Persephone. I contemplated joining the festivities. Maybe later. I wasn't dressed for the occasion. I walked up the hill to Cemetery Grove where I lived, stopping now and then to admire the paper lamps floating up from the plaza below to savor the joyous, discordant tune of the strings. Going home, I felt elated. My ruined flesh always weighed heavy on my bones. Everything was so much better without it. Maybe I would get changed and go dancing after all. This was the third wave this year, and there was no telling how long it would last. I'd best make the most of it. I was about ready to go when I heard the knock on my door. 
I hurriedly zipped my pants and fixed my cravat, stealing a glance at the grandfather clock by the couch. It was past midnight. I looked through the peephole and saw a skeletal figure, impossibly tall and thin, dressed like the illicit love child of a Toreador and a stage magician. His costume was flamingo pink, a color most offensive to the naked eye, not to mention harmful, and he held a plain white violin. He was probably on his way to St. Death's too. Fiddlers made good money during waves. Better than private investigators, to be sure. I cracked the door open, not taking the chain off. How can I help you? I asked politely. The man turned and I gasped. Twin chartreuse flames were burning in deep, shadowy eye sockets. I'd never seen anything like that. Was it a cosmetic enhancement of some sort, like my filigrees? I made a mental note to ask around at the ball. He grinned. I hope I came to the right place. Are you Theodore Bloom, P.I.? His voice was sepulchral. There was no other word for it. It made my ribcage rumble and reverberate with the sound of it. I didn't like it, nor did I like the way his violin looked, as if made of china pale bone. I tried to imagine the kind of music it would make, something wicked and haunting. Even a little mad, maybe. That'd be me, yes. Do I know you? He grinned and his chartreuse eyes burned a little brighter. Fantastic. May I come in? The name is Mo Shapiro, and I am in dire need of your services. I normally didn't take on new cases during waves. Shedding made people harder to read, and reading people was part of the job. Skeletons held no expression, and therefore trying to empathize with them was an exercise in futility. But now that the waves came more frequently and lasted longer, I didn't have the luxury of turning clients down. Spectrologists had many theories, of course, but they'd offered no concrete explanation of the recent situation. Yet. I sighed, undid the door chain, and let him in. It didn't look like I'd be going dancing after all. Mo Shapiro swept into my office and sat down on the single vomit-colored armchair, crossing his legs and laying the violin across his lap. I sat opposite him and fumbled with my desk drawers for a notebook. I turned to a blank page, grabbed a capless pen with a chewed-up edge, and stared up at my prospective client. What can I do for you, Mr. Shapiro? I asked. I'm looking for a girl, he said, his voice turning my spine into water. Finding her is time-sensitive. Am I right to understand you could assist me in my quest? The man had an odd way of expressing himself. Perhaps he was one of those conscientious objectors who believed in reincarnation and refused to use the public charnel houses. They claimed they were old souls and frequently adopted mannerisms of ages past. The law did show some leniency there, since it was a matter of faith, but he'd have had to fill in a ton of paperwork to get excused from wave duty. But conscientious objectors didn't believe in Saint Death, so him carrying a violin, Saint Death's tool and symbol of power, didn't make much sense. Plus, none of those posers would be caught dead in a pink Toreador suit. No pun intended. Have you gone to the police? He shook his skull. It was beautifully shaped and perfectly symmetrical. If only people were as glorious in the flesh 
as they were under it. No, it hasn't been 48 hours, and to be honest, Mr. Bloom, this is a matter of some delicacy. I would prefer it if the police were to stay out of it. I nodded. What's the girl's name, and who is she to you? Mo Shapiro toyed with his violin bow for a few moments. It was strange that he carried it like that, out of its case, but I didn't think it important enough to comment on it. You must understand, this is somewhat embarrassing, he finally said. We used to be involved. I cheated. She took off with my skin. I stopped writing and stared at him in disbelief. He shrugged. Her name is Corey Dimitriou, he went on. She works at Dance Macabre, near Shallow Boulevard. So you shed at home. Is a deceased relative registered as your skin's lawful tenant? Where are they now? No one uses my skin, he said matter-of-factly. He didn't elaborate. My bones itched with curiosity, but I knew a dead end when I saw one. He wouldn't answer anything more on the topic of his shedding, but I had a feeling there was more to the story than what he let on. I changed my line of questioning. Your ex is a stripper, then? Exotic dancer. At least that's what she's always called it. Do you know the place? I do, I confirmed. How do you know it was her who took your skin? He took a piece of paper out of his bolero jacket and handed it to me. The note was short and simple, written in a neat, even handwriting, betraying no emotion. That was strange. I'm going away. Don't look for me. If you do, I will destroy it. Okay. I found this at my house when I got out of the shower after the wave hit, my client said. I always take a bath after shedding. It makes me feel better. How silly is that? Anyway, my skin wasn't where I left it. I only found this note, and when I went by her workplace to look for her, they told me she quit earlier tonight. So you see, Mr. Bloom, you have to help me. I tried to imagine how having my skin stolen would feel. Liberating. Soothing. It would actually feel like I could be myself for once, my true self. But it didn't work like that. I wouldn't be able to survive skinless after the wave had passed, and neither would Mo Shapiro. He was right. This was time-sensitive. I charge 50 obols an hour plus expenses, and uh, I require the first 300 to be paid in advance. Are you alright with that? I asked, awkward as ever when it came to money. It is a reasonable fee, he replied, and produced a heavy-looking leather pouch from inside his bolero. He left it on the desk and gave it a slight push towards me when I made no move to grab it. 300. I can wait if you wish to count it. I shook my head. Mo Shapiro stood up with an eerie economy of motion, so fluid that it made me feel clumsy and awkward. I stood too, guiding him to the door. Won't you give me an address? I asked. How will I get in touch with you? That won't be necessary, he said. I shall find you again. I didn't like the sound of that. I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with this arrangement, Mr. Shapiro. What if I locate your skin and cannot find you before the wave passes? You know they've become volatile as of late. The spectrologists are saying... 
He raised a hand, stopping me mid-sentence. I am well aware of the risks, Mr. Bloom. Please understand, I do not mean to be secretive. It is simply that my property is inaccessible to outsiders during the waves. As I said, I shall find you. The dance macabre was almost empty when I arrived. That was understandable, considering that the spectral wave had hit Persephone less than two hours ago. Most people, dead and living, would still be dancing at the balls. As soon as I went through the door, my senses were simultaneously assaulted by thick-smelling cigars and horrendous string music. I almost wished I still had ears so I could fold them into my acoustic meatuses. The lighting, at least, was somewhat less offensive. Tallow candles burned on plastic candelabras spray-painted gold and scattered around the place, and oil lamps covered in red and fuchsia doilies hung from the ceiling. The cheap velveteen couches were occupied by men both in the skin and out. Some were drinking and smoking. Others were just gawking at the two girls on the stage. One was bare bones, but her skeleton had been embellished to mimic the texture and appearance of human skin, down to erect nipples and pubic hair. The artist had done an amazing job using light and shade to create the illusion of sweaty, porous, realistic flesh. A frayed fringe belt in neon yellow hung low on her hips, swaying enticingly with every move. Her dance partner was a skinwalker, her supple body fully painted, black and ivory, so as to resemble the skeleton. They shared a kiss as the audience cheered. I watched as a tongue that didn't belong to the person using it explored the empty insides of the other girl's skull. Then I turned around and walked to the bar. The bartender was a scantily clad skeleton with white vinyl suspenders over a ribcage embellished to look like crow feathers. He wore white vinyl chaps without pants and a black bowler hat. What can I get you? He screamed to be heard over the music. A cerulean smoke, I said, and sat on a precarious looking three-legged stool. Imitation leather creaked as I tried to better position myself. Please. He nodded and not a minute later set a wine glass filled with the cloudy blue drink in front of me. I smiled. Cerulean smoke was the perfect choice for today's outfit. I gulped it down and felt the vapor expand outward. I took a minute to admire myself in the tarnished mirror behind the bar, swelling with pride and confidence. My filigreed bones caught the light prettily. Cerulean smoke lingered and swirled in the gaps between my ribs. I liked how it made me look even more otherworldly. I'm looking for a girl, I told the bartender, pushing three coins toward him. Her name is Corey Dimitriou. I was told she works here. The bartender laughed and pocketed the obols. He bent over the bar and motioned me forward. She's a popular one tonight, isn't she? He said. Never mind. She quit right before the wave. She came in for a last dance, got her wage and her tips, and left. I don't expect we'll be seeing her anytime soon. I nodded. So far, so good. Why did you say she was popular? I asked him. Was someone else looking for her? Yeah. Some creepy-sounding dude in a pink suit came in earlier. I told him what I told you. I tipped my fedora. Thank you. You've been very helpful. Is there anyone here who might know where to find 
Miss Dimitriou. Canty, he said, pointing to the stage. The two of them are tight. Great. Which one was Canty? Is Canty the skeleton or the skinwalker, I inquired, studying the dancers with newfound interest. Well, both, I guess, the bartender replied. Couldn't understand if he was joking or not. He didn't laugh. I turned and watched the girls on stage make out with each other with a new appreciation of what they were actually doing. Why on earth did I take on a case during a wave? Oh, right, bills. I waited patiently for them to finish their dance and get off the stage to mingle with the clients. Once they did, I called over a waitress. She sported an impressive set of knockers under her fluorescent green dress. No doubt a silicone breastplate she kept just for when the waves came through. Below the skirt, her femurs were bare and unembellished. This didn't stop the men from commenting or groping. I wasn't a stranger to kinks, but this place unnerved me. What can I do for you, handsome? She asked me. Would she call me handsome if I'd walked in here wearing my marred skin? Probably. It was her job, after all. Could you please let Canty know? That I need to speak with her? I said, offering her an oval. She looked me over. At least I thought she did, because her skull moved up and down as if she were scanning me. Fine, she said. I'll let them know. The reprimand was subtle, but unmistakable. I sighed and waited for Candy to come over. I looked more closely at the dancer's embellished bones. I'd initially assumed the paintwork was depicting a female body. But upon closer inspection, I realized I was mistaken. My eyes traveled down to the dusty rose areolas and the fair pubes, searching for any gender identifiers. I couldn't find any. The artist had been impressively clever about it. Canty sat on the stool next to me. Up close, the work they'd had done on their bones was even more breathtaking. Their teeth did look like actual lips. Are you having a good time, darling? they asked. Their voice was a smooth and silky, a singer's voice. I'm looking for Corey Dimitriou. I cut to the chase. Your friends? Canty's posture changed ever so slightly. They didn't do anything as obvious as crossing their hands. They'd have learned how to hide their emotions their first week on the job. The lack of skin should have given them an advantage had they been anything but a dancer. I'd found out dancers and athletes Feeling comfortable in their skins and relying on movement as much as they did had tells when forced to abandon their flesh. Who wants to know? Canty asked, their voice turning from enticing to saccharine. I took their hand in mine and brushed fleshless lips against their bony fingers. Forgive me, I said. My name is Theodard Bloom. I'm a private investigator. I've been hired to locate Miss Dimitriou. Canty recoiled. Aren't you a bit fancy to be a private eye? Who hired you? They persisted. They were slipping. A hint of an accent was coming through. So, they weren't from Persephone originally. And if that was the case, they were taking this whole spectral wave business rather well. Tourists and immigrants rarely did. Me, I struggled to imagine a world without waves. A world where the dead didn't come back from the grave to wear the skins of the living. It didn't seem fair not being able to speak with your loved ones again, not being able to dance or drink or have sex again. How would a world without Saint Death be? A world where gone meant truly gone, and life ended for good. A world where your flesh defined you, and you could never get rid of it. 
not even for a night or a week. I'm afraid I can't tell you that, I replied, keeping my tone neutral. But I mean your friend, no harm. I simply need to ask her a couple of questions, like the ones I'm asking you now. I wasn't lying. If I could get Shapiro what he wanted, and let the dame go her merry way, too, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Something about this case felt off from the get-go. More than that, I was an independent contractor, not a jailer or a bounty hunter. I took pictures of cheating spouses and tailed employees who were dipping their hand in the proverbial pot of honey. Fine. Well, I've no clue where she is. She came in. She danced. She quit. Not much to say. Corey is like that, you know? Unpredictable. Wild. But she did mention she'd be seeing a regular tonight. Tonight? In the middle of a wave? I asked, unable to hide my surprise. Kenty laughed. They were young. I realized all of a sudden, so young, and Persephone had already eaten them alive and spitted out their bones. That was my city for you, though. Perpetually angry, perpetually hungry old gal, regurgitating life and flesh between us and our dead. Honey, look around. People who come here are freaks. Death aficionados who get hard watching skeletons make out with their own skin. Get a clue. That's your skin? I whispered, looking at their dance partner, who was sitting on a bone man's lap. The sight of his skeletal hand fondling the elaborate ribcage painted on her ample breasts made me shiver. I couldn't see where his other hand was, and in all honesty, I didn't want to. I turned back to Candy. Why? I asked, generally curious. They shrugged. Consent. You can't just wear some random person's skin and take it for a ride in a place like this. Mikey, he runs the dance, maybe making money off some weird kinks, but he does have some sense of morality, if somewhat flexible. Ava, the specter who wears my skin, used to be a ballet dancer, but no reputable ballet company will let a skinwalker dance for them. I nodded. You are surprisingly eloquent for a dancer, I couldn't help commenting. You're surprisingly forward for a private dick, they grinned. They stood up. I have to go. I can't be seen spending the whole night with you. You're not even paying me for my time. Sorry, I said, and I meant it too. Just one last question. Do you happen to know who this regular is? Canty ran a long, thin finger down my cravat. They were enjoying the suspense, which probably meant I wouldn't like what I was about to hear. Cardinal Vosky, they said. Well, I'll be damned. A pair of lone, skinless specters went past me as I stood outside Death's Hollow Cathedral. The ethereal woman in a stola and sandals waltzed by, hand in hand with the man in the dark green uniform of an army officer. He was missing half of his head and an arm. Silvery ectoplasm was oozing from the wounds, leaving long trails behind the ill-matched couple. They stood for a moment, looking longingly at the glacier-blue glass domes. They lit them up during the waves, and the light illuminated most of Death's Hollow. A glass sculpture of Saint Death was perched on top of the highest cupola. He held a short scythe in one hand and a violin in the other. I understood their longing. The cathedral was full of unused flesh. Death was sacred and all, but priests did not share skins with the dead like the rest of us peasants. 
I couldn't help feeling a pang of jealousy as the spectral couple slithered forward, following the music coming from the square. Had it not been for Mo Shapiro and the elusive Corey Dimitriou, I would have been going there too. But no, I had to wait for his eminence's reply. I wasn't surprised that he didn't agree to meet me, but I was surprised that he accepted a note. I had not written much in my note, and I made sure I was discreet about it. I didn't want someone like Cardinal Vosky thinking I was out to blackmail him. I had given the short letter to one of the guards, and then I waited like they told me to. And waited. And waited. Finally, after an hour and a half, a page boy brought out a sealed envelope. The paper was thick and expensive. I opened it and something small and heavy fell in my hand. I couldn't help laughing. A damned portrait. Then again, it was tradition. Our church's leaders were supposed to share their image with the faithful during waves. It was humbling or something. Cardinal Almast Vosky was one of Persephone's most prominent and beloved spiritual leaders. I'd seen the man preach in public once or twice. He was spectacularly obese, with beautiful gray eyes and soft blonde curls. Underneath all that, his bones were bleached, his skull cherubic. In the small oval portrait I held, he was depicted wearing the customary white and purple dress of all St. Death's Cardinals. I dropped the picture back into the envelope and took out the Cardinal's letter. My eyes quickly scanned the brief, carefully worded response. If he were to be believed, Corey Dimitriou had not visited him recently, but maintained a close relationship with someone named Miles Ackerman, who the good Cardinal was afraid was a bad influence on her. The note was unsigned. I smiled. If I were Almas Tvosky, I'd be reluctant to sign anything, too. At least he'd given me a new lead, and now I had to go find an address book and look for that Ackerman guy. Miles Ackerman lived in Halfway There, commonly known as the worst place to be during a wave. Halfway There was an old street, really old, older than Persephone even. It was a mile long and half-dressed in concrete. On the right side of the road, it was business as usual, tall buildings of brick and mortar with chipped window panes and mossy balconies. On the other side of the road, however, the buildings were spectral, misshapen things of ectoplasm and blue mist, built in barely recognizable styles of eons past. Normally, that part of halfway there would be nothing more than a patch of desert. But we were right in the middle of a wave when abnormal became banal. I rang Ackerman's bell, looking over my shoulder to make sure that no specters or skeletons were lurking around. The man who answered the door was fairly short and hideous, he had about a dozen cracked, fractured, and broken bones that hadn't healed properly. That and the prison tattoos on his skull and femurs made him look hideous. Yeah, he said, what do you want? I took off my fedora. I'm sorry to bother you. I know it's late. My name is Theodard Bloom. I'm a private investigator. May I come in? I asked. He shrugged and turned around, leaving the door open. Whatever. Do what you want, man. The apartment was small and smelled of smoke and cheap cologne. Ackerman's skin was carelessly thrown on a ratty sofa. I guess this would be a misdemeanor considering the rest of the crimes he'd committed, the ones that landed him in prison. I wouldn't much care if I were him either. 
Photographs of a couple were scattered all over the dirty carpet. I was shocked to see how handsome he actually looked with his flesh on. Corey, if that was in fact her he was hugging in the pictures, seemed to be a rather ordinary woman in her early thirties, with dishwater brown hair and wide hips. She looked nothing like what I thought she would. So, I said, I'm seeking Corey Dimitriou. I've been told you would know where she is. Is that right? He chuckled. What's she done now? He asked. I thought I could detect a hint of mirth in his voice. He was used to this, to people asking him about Corey. Nothing, I replied in my most reassuring tone. An old friend has lost her tracks and would like to reconnect with her. He chuckled harder. Yeah, right, as if. Corey doesn't have friends. She's got gulls and she's got johns. Usually it's both at the same time. I sighed. Fine, I admitted. I was hired by someone she conned. She took something they wanted back. As simple as that. Don't mean her any harm, I added as an afterthought. He was her lover, after all. Of course you don't, he said. You're too pretty to mean anyone some harm. Your ink looks expensive. No one who likes his bones as much as you clearly do is willing to risk cracking them. He had no idea. Would he scream if he saw what I really looked like? I doubted it. He must have seen his fair share of ugly bastards in prison. I decided against taking his bait. We digress. Do you know where she is or not? I asked instead. He moved to the tiny kitchen area and took a small jar out of the fridge. He spread what looked like crimson ointment on the eagle embellishment on the left side of his skull. Boneman balm. So that one was fresh, which meant he'd been in and out of prison again recently. She's probably at her mom's, where she always is during waves. The dead crone wears her skin. Corey's a real mama's girl. Something about the way he said it sounded sleazy, and I felt an overwhelming urge to slap the man. But it probably wouldn't be such a great idea, him being a convicted criminal and all. And where might that be? I pressed. Hangman's Hill. She lives in a red brick cottage. You can't miss it. Corey was sitting on the steps leading to her mother's cottage when I found her. I knew her instantly because her bone embellishments looked similar to Canty's. She wore a black leather vest, a short black leather skirt, and impossibly high heels. Her skin was sitting beside her, softly caressing her spinal column. The skinwalker looked exactly as Corey did in the photographs I'd seen at Ackerman's place, only dressed more demurely. The mother, I assumed... Near them, a skeleton child was playing in the garden, throwing mud and dirt around. Hello, I said once I was close enough, not taking my eyes off Corey. I hope I'm not intruding. My name is Theodard Bloom. I'm a private investigator. Mom, she ordered. Take Havre and go inside. Now, I'll deal with this. The woman wearing her daughter's skin obeyed without a word. She bent over the child and whispered something. The two of them disappeared through the side door. He sent you, didn't he? Corey asked, finally looking at me. I didn't really think of what would happen if he hired someone competent for once. I shrugged and sat down next to her. Not that competent, really. Mostly I just went where people pointed me at. Listen, I'd like to keep you out of trouble if possible. You have a kid, for death's sake. 
She laughed mirthlessly. Yeah. That's exactly the problem, isn't it? I have a kid, and I can't be with her. Then it dawned on me. Is it Shapiro's daughter? Is that what you took from him? That's why he told me that story about you stealing his skin? I asked incredulously. She studied me for a moment. You really don't know anything, do you? She said softly. How on earth did he fool you? I mean, he's got that chilly voice and those burning holes for eyes. How could you not know him for what he is? I looked at her dumbfounded. What are you talking about? I need a cigarette, she told no one in particular. I didn't mention how pointless that would be. I just waited and found that most people actually wanted to talk, wanted to be heard. All you had to do was stay silent long enough. The skin my mom's wearing? It's not mine. I got it two years ago. It was near the end of the wave. There was only one every year back then, remember? And the fiddler came to me and told me I had to go with him. He said my time had come. What kind of idiot goes up and dies during a wave? Well, apparently I did somehow. Some rare bone disease. She patted down her vest and took out a rumpled cigarette. She didn't light it, nor did she ask me for a lighter. She simply put it in her mouth and let it hang there. I wasn't ready to go. Avr was still so young, still is so young. She needed me. So I tricked him. I paid a homeless woman to exchange skins with me. I had no clue if such a thing was even possible, you know? No one had done it before, not to my knowledge. And trust me, I do know people who would have tried it. But I was willing to take the risk. I took her skin, and I left my house and my job. I was an accountant back then, not a stripper. He took that woman in my place. I don't even know what her name was. And the saddest part is, I don't really care that much. I did what I had to do for my daughter. I haven't stopped hearing his damn violin ever since. Every wave he comes for me, every wave I elude him. Well, she said, nodding toward me. I guess he found me now. Death, I whispered. I was hired by Saint Death. Yeah. I guess it must be the highlight of your career. I thought about what she'd told me for a while, about what she didn't tell me, but had been implied. You know, I started, but stopped mid-sentence. I wasn't sure how to say it. I'd only shared those things with my therapist before. I took a deep and utterly useless breath. You know, when I was twelve, my parents took me to a public charnel house for the first time. It was the one in Dead Man's Court that's been shut down now. I'd spent my whole life up to that point being a good boy, reading the scriptures and everything. I was taught all about what made Persephone special, about the spectral waves coming once a year for a week, forcing the living to lose their skins and the dead to come back. My parents were leftists. They believed in public charnel houses, in sharing. Anyway, my skin was used for the first time, 
When they returned it to me, it was damaged. And I mean horribly damaged. You can't freaking imagine damaged. My parents made me wear it because they didn't know if I could survive without it. The Spectre responsible was banned from all public charnel houses. I grew up looking like a monster, straight out of a horror book. People didn't want to be my friends. Girls didn't want to sleep with me. Guys messed with me and bullied me. I suddenly realized my hands were shaking. I forced myself to remain still and resume my story. I tried killing myself a few times. Obviously, I didn't succeed. My parents were devastated. Then on the wave of my 17th year, a girl saw me out of skin. She told me I was beautiful. That was it. I started living for the waves. I started appreciating that time when I was free of deformity, judgment, frankly, people. Skulls don't have expressions, you see. They can't look disgusted or horrified. Waves are the best time of the year, but they're becoming volatile, and that's because of you, isn't it? She didn't say anything. She only nodded. Once. Because of what you did, they come and go more often, and they last longer. Spectrologists have been stressing about this ever since it started. They don't know if Persephone could survive a permanent wave. They don't know if it could survive a wave drought either. We can't take that chance. I can't take that chance. Waves are important. So many people live for that time of year when the color of their skin or the shape of their genitals won't mean anything to anyone. You can't take that away from us. Not for one little girl's sake. She shook her head. She took the cigarette from in between her teeth and threw it down. She stomped at it angrily. My daughter needs me, was all she said. You're right, she does, but Persephone doesn't, and staying here you're endangering a delicate balance we don't even know the workings of. We both remained silent for a while. Do you hear it? The music? She asked dreamily all of a sudden, ignoring what I just said. I always do. I can't stop hearing it. Not ever. A lone violin playing a song more beautiful and more desolate than anything you've heard or imagined. I listened carefully. There was nothing. You need to go to him, I said gently. You must, Corey. He will keep playing for you if you don't, and the waves will keep coming more and more often until they drown us or they stop completely. You don't know that, she countered, but I could tell all the fight was gone from her. I suddenly realized why death had hired me. I had a personal stake in seeing this through, even if I didn't know it from the start. Why shouldn't I get to decide when my time comes? Why is my daughter less important than Persephone? She stood. Do you know that old verse? Noble flesh or low-born flesh means not once you skin it. For to dance with death is a game of chess and no man can ever win it. I did know it. I opened my mouth to tell her so, but she'd stopped paying any attention to me. She started walking slowly, dancing to the unheard notes of a single bone violin. 
She didn't spare me a glance, nor did she thank me. I watched her join a tall, thin fiddler, dressed in a flamingo pink Toreador costume, who was waiting on the side of the road. I was still sitting at the steps in front of the red brick cottage when the little girl and her grandma got out of the house. Someone had to explain where her mom had gone. I'd never been any good with kids. They usually took one look at me and ran away hiding. We were in the middle of a wave, though, and we were both bare bones, so it might not go too bad. Melancholy filled me at the thought of going back to the one-wave-per-year ratio. Having more had felt good, made me more self-assured. Flesh was a magnet for judgment, and I despised it. But I'd rather have a single hour free of it than risk being trapped in it forever, with no means of escape. There's one more reason to take care of your skin, hmm? My advice? Stay out of the sun. Permanently. You will not make it to my age without good sunscreen. Of that, I can assure you. I have had singularly good results with the SPF 200 strains, which are recently on the market. It helps me maintain my gothic glow. But, before I become distracted with sharing my well-researched skincare tips, I must tell you that this evening's reader was Mr. Michael Allen Rose, who is a writer, musician, and performer based in Chicago. He has published numerous books and short stories in the bizarro, horror, and comedy arenas, and also makes industrial music under the name Flood Damage. He loves cats and a good cup of tea. You may also know him as my nephew, Leopold, who minded the gallery for me last year. Find out more about his work at michaelallenrose.com. Well, I'm expecting some of my own dead to drop by for a visit. One of my old editors, I think. Hmm. I should go and make some precautions, set some wards. Perhaps a good, solid diagram drawn on the floor for myself, in case they get past the door. You should be on your way before they arrive, as I expect there will be some, hmm, well, you know. Take care of your skin, and do come visit us next time at the Gallery of Curiosities. Gallery of Curiosities is produced under a Creative Commons International 4.0 non-commercial attribution no derivatives license. Story copyrights remain with the authors. Our theme song is Ashes Ashes by Deus Ex Vapora Machina. If you like the show, give some stars and reviews on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. And don't forget to wear your sunscreen. The secret is sunscreen.
This episode was produced on November the 1st of 2022. For full show notes, visit us online at gallerycurious.com. People often ask me, Osgood, how do you keep your ghostly pallor so pale? Hmm. It's no secret, really. I use John Dee's Moondust Skin Treatment. It's what keeps my visage crypt fresh after all these years. A simple light dusting on each full moon is all it requires. But take care not to question where Dee obtained the moon dust from in the year 15 and 90. You see, the magic is in the mystery. Although it is believed he had concourse with the fair folk who might have had their own resources, but... Did I just do a commercial?